Welcome to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to be on the cutting edge of SaaS tech sales. We provide the tools you need to take advantage of the rapidly changing sales environment. We bring you the leading experts on the front lines of SaaS sales and distill down our famous masterclasses into bite-sized practical tips. Your hosts will be Ash Ali and Matt Milligan. And on this podcast, we'll be helping you transform your ability to sell more so you can smash your targets. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. Now, I talk about this regularly on the show, and really, for me, it's a true privilege to be able to invite incredibly successful revenue leaders onto the show on a regular basis. And, you know, my job's relatively easy. I get to ask questions about their journey. I get to listen, observe, learn. And really, you know, the ethos of this show has been all about knowledge sharing and who better than today's guest, who I'm delighted to invite on to the show, is Grant Coombe. And Grant is currently the Chief Revenue Officer at FundApps. Grant has a fantastically diverse background coming from both really amazing experience in, in enterprise, working through, through the ranks at, at Bloomberg. And then Grant actually made a shift over to fast growth. And Grant has been scaling out revenue teams in the SaaS space for a number of years. Now, Grant, as I mentioned, is currently at FundApps. And FundApps is compliance made easy, where they're working with some of the world's largest financial institutions to help them avoid fines and reputational damage. Grant, we're going to dig into your journey. I mean, for those listening to the show, first of all, big welcome to the show and really looking forward to the conversation today. Thanks very much, Matt. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks. Awesome. So look, Grant, I touched on it at the beginning there, but for those who haven't connected with you yet, either via you know Pavilion or through the, the the SaaS ecosystem, which is always remarkably, I find, you know, remarkably small world. I mean, for those who haven't come across you or crossed paths with you before, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, talk us through a little bit of your journey and you know how did you come into sales leadership and and how have you made that that move and that transition in, into leading SaaS? Well, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and you know, I've, I'm close to kind of 25 years in the industry, whether it's uh, sales, financial markets, and technology. And I think I'm going to start counting backwards because I feel a little bit old with uh, saying 25 years. But uh, my journey started actually in below the line advertising and marketing consultancy, but rapidly moved to to, to Bloomberg in London. And spent a large percentage of my career at Bloomberg, both in EMEA out of London and also in Asia. And that was really formative because it was almost like working for two different companies and covering the breadth of the of the two, of the two regions. I did work in, in a whole series of different leadership roles, from small teams of eight people all the way up to 200 and 300. So it was a real mix of, of different opportunities. And actually at Bloomberg, ended up being much more focused on enterprise sales. So back to smaller teams, key relationships, building a structure that would allow us to sell large ticket deals to the enterprise, which is something that really needed to be focused on. And it wasn't necessarily innate in Bloomberg. So that was great to learn from. And then ultimately, having had a, an amazing time at Bloomberg, I realized I was, I'd been there a long time and I, wanted, I was missing out. And so I started my own consultancy, my sales consultancy, really focused on helping revenue leaders. I thought going to be in SaaS and uh, financial markets, but ultimately ended up being across law, pharmaceuticals, 
manufacturing, even a, uh, a food lobby group across Asia and kind of helping people to kind of coach, be coached, run strategy, look at both process and structure to improve revenue organizations of all kinds. And that was great. I love that. But my calling was going back to financial markets and, and SaaS specifically and ended up in, in fund apps about a year and a half ago. So I really wanted to be building a team, running a strategy and developing a business across the world. So that's where I got to now. What an amazing journey. We talk, you know, I, I talk to a lot of revenue leaders who are, you know, and I quite often sense a little bit of curiosity, perhaps, perhaps a little bit of fear of missing out. But when I talk to revenue leaders who are at the kind of enterprise bigger end of the spectrum, you know, they're looking over the fence at some of the high growth SaaS businesses with some of these, these feelings. I mean, just talk us through, if you will, Grant, like how you found you know, making that transition over. And, you know, we, we spoke at the beginning just bef- before we, we went on air around, you know, like going from large to small. And how do you think about that shift and the key differences? Yeah, I think it's interesting because there's, there, I think there's often a reticence of SaaS, perhaps leadership teams to bring people in from large, I guess, kind of more institutional software businesses because they are used to the support that's there, the infrastructure the thousands of people within those businesses. And I guess there's often a view that people coming from that world won't be able to adapt, won't roll, be able to roll their sleeves up, and will kind of struggle in, in a world where you actually have to do a lot of stuff yourself. I think, you know, honestly, coming from going and doing a running my own sales consultancy was, was a real wake-up call, because ultimately at that point, you're the CRO, CMO, kind of COO of that business, and you have to do everything. So I think that kind of prepared me a lot for, for, for that world. But ultimately, it does take a certain type of character to be able to to jump into that and and be successful. And so, you know, ultimately, I think it really needs to be somebody who has the ability to roll their sleeves up, as I said, be willing to test and fail and learn and not get bogged down in that. Because ultimately, there is lots to learn, lots to build. And you don't have time to to get too, I guess, put in the quagmire of, of worrying about mistakes that you might make in building a team, building a business and driving, you know, a scale up. And so for me, I think it's 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 super interesting. It kind of it either empowers you or you know, it will it will frustrate you. For me, it's 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 the former. The ability to be able to run a business, be responsible for it and grow a, grow and build a team is really exciting. And I think that's what people, you know, who want to come into this business should look at. Great advice there for anyone who's perhaps sitting on the fence and thinking about making that that transition. The one word that sprung to my mind as you were talking there was 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 ownership. And you know, obviously, as you said, pulling your sleeves up and coming in and and owning a business from from kind of building it from the ground up, so to speak, it must be quite a mindset shift in terms of coming from that established structure and process into something which is much more. A blank canvas. Well, I think it is because when you, in a large organization, there are multiple layers of decision making. There is generally a lot of politics. There are vested interests. People don't want to make mistakes that make them look bad. And ultimately, that then curtails the ability to be entrepreneurial in many ways. 
So coming into a business where literally you have to own it, you have to have to drive it. And I remember our CEO, Andrew, saying to me originally when I when I was accepting the, the, the job, he said, listen, I want you to run this business. And that's what you're being employed to do. And I thought, that sounds great. Looking forward to it. But assumed there would be quite a lot of oversight. And while there is, there is obviously interest and, and we discuss a lot of things, ultimately, I'm there to run the business. And I've been given incredible reign to be able to build a business, build a team, run the infrastructure, try new things. And I think that's that's really powerful and really, really motivating. I think the other thing that's, that's interesting is about where there's a little bit more diplomacy in larger organizations, because it is more political. What I love about a scale-up world is it's quite direct. And I think people coming from a large institution into a smaller scale-up or startup sometimes might struggle with that directness because people just tell you what they think, they want to get on, they don't have time to mess around. And that's actually very, very, it's very useful because clearly you can make decisions quickly, learn from mistakes, build upon success and work with a team who's really empowered to drive the business. And that is a, that's, a, that's a different mindset. I think the other thing is because you can try things all the time, it means it's it's much more interesting because you can iterate on, on ideas that you have, you can champion ideas for the team, and if things don't work, you learn from them and move on. But ultimately, as Amazon always say, that most of these things are two-way doors. So you can try something, it doesn't work, you learn from it and move on. And I think that for me is really is really exciting. Yeah. You spoke about the transparency piece there, which is particularly insightful and I have a lot of leaders talking about culture at the moment which we'll come on to talk about in a moment I'm sure the transparency piece is an interesting one isn't it because obviously speed is the biggest driver quite often you know and and, and time is just the number one factor for all leaders in an early stage business but what have you seen in terms of driving transparency across team members you know is it something that you're quite proactive about fostering or is that actually just an outcome of, well, um, you know, we're in a board meeting or we have one hour to prepare for this thing. We've got to get to a fucking solution quickly. Is that where the transparency just kind of comes as a byproduct of that? Or are you actually you know, quite proactive with your fellow leaders about fostering that? Yeah, I think I've learned from our leadership team just the value of real transparency. It's not because I didn't want to be transparent before in previous roles. It's just there is hyper-transparency in a, in, a, in a business like ours and in scale-ups and startups. So I'm I'm constantly trying to make sure that we are being transparent, that we are sharing information. And I think that's the culture that we built. One of our five values is be transparent. And it sounds very obvious, but ultimately, you don't learn that much. If things are happening in, in one to one DMs and small groups, a lot of the learning and decision making isn't out in the open. And so a lot of what we do is have that decision making out in the open so people can see how we make decisions, learn from it. And of course, you have that kind of then rich history to be able to go and dig into. We use Slack, which I think is amazing. I hadn't used it properly before I before I joined, joined Fund Apps. And so the ability and the transparency that you have within Slack is, is excellent. And I think we try to really make maintain that culture so that it is all there it's real time and everyone has access so i think the leadership team has really been an instigator of that transparency andrew started the business has always been very focused on it and i've i've really enjoyed 
that kind of shift to having everything in the open. And it's kind of, I think that's quite scary for some people, actually, because coming from a large organization, there's lots of little silos and information is almost a premium. You go, you know, things that other people don't. But ultimately, it's so much more additive and actually stops wasting time by having all that in front of you and very transparent. Yeah, it's very similar to... I recently listened to Toto Wolf of Mercedes Formula One team, and he was talking about radical transparency. And it, for him, it actually started with his investment business before he even got into Formula One. And every company that would come to them for investment, they had a core principle, which was, you know, just be radically transparent with your feedback, whether, you know, good or bad, because otherwise it's not additive and you're not actually going to be, be helping the person on the other side of the table. And then he's taken that radical transparency into the culture that he's built at Mercedes. And I thought it was a really interesting point. And he basically used exactly the same reasons that, that you've used there. Well, that's interesting. I didn't steal his uh, all his knowledge. <laughs> but uh, No, I, I think, look, it's something that's been really refreshing, actually. And quite, it, it was slightly difficult actually to start with because of that that transparency but i think that's exactly how businesses should operate and it just gets rid of all that as i guess ingrained politics and and hidden agendas so yeah great to hear the feedback i'm hearing from a number of the cro's that we work with at uhubs is they really like the variety they like the fact that you have the ability to influence and build across marketing sales and often success as well but quite often what that means is that you are the one building those functions. So, you know, you, you don't benefit from the, the luxury of having the resources and, and the pillars in place. You kind of have to have to define those. But I guess that that is the, the fun part, isn't it? That's why you join a scale-up or a startup, right? I mean, look, it's, it's never going to be perfect because you don't have these wild resources that larger companies do. But ultimately, that's where all the pleasure comes. I mean, to give you an idea, right, when I joined FundApps in February last year, we were, I think, 64 people. We're now, I think, 103. And quite a lot of that growth has come through the revenue team. And as we've kind of worked out how we need to scale and what the people platform is that we need to make that happen, because you've got to, I mean, it's obvious, but you've got to have the right people, but you've also got to have the right people platform and structure to be able to do that. So, you know, having hired a series of great SDRs last year, we realized we wanted to invest in an SDR leader. We've got a new SDR leader coming in um, just in a couple of weeks, which is super exciting. We also realized that in this scaling, we, we've done a lot of things to try and try and help ourselves be more successful as we try and enable our, our sales teams and marketing teams. And we've done that with in part through education. You know, we've invested in, in memberships for Pavilion for some of our leaders. We've invested in Sales Impact Academy, which has been fantastic actually to help us to be able to, to train and to continue bringing content to, to the sales team. We've got Medic outsourced as well, as well to be able to help us to continue to qualify better. What's interesting is we realized that we actually needed somebody who was going to be able to help us to be really successful with, the, with both onboarding and obviously continuous education. And so we've got a, in August, we've got a, um, a head of enablement coming in, revenue enablement coming in to help us with that. Because ultimately, we need to make sure that the experience that our team is having is really, really strong. But also that, you know, we're making sure that that investment and that ramp time is shortened. And that's something that, that's key to us. We, you know, as, a, as an organization, our ramp time, we often say we don't want people to rush because, you know, it's compliance made simple. 
which it is, but ultimately there is a premium of knowledge that's needed within, within the compliance arena, both financial markets, sales, and our product to be able to be successful. So we're also trying hard not to rush people into a situation where they're kind of set up for a fall. We want them to be invested in, we want them to have time to be able to, to develop their skills and then ultimately be very successful in that. So I think that enablement piece is really important. And then flipping over to, to marketing, the other piece we're currently hiring for a head of marketing, we've got some great people in our marketing team now, particularly digital and content. And what we're, we're looking to now is ramp that further. And so as you can see, then having somebody who can, can coordinate, particularly in the enablement space between all of those different teams and help refine the go-to-market strategies and battle cards and plans is really, really key. Spot on in, in terms of stage. A question out of curiosity, how big was the size of your SDR team before you looked to bring in that, that SDR leader? Yeah, it's something we, we debated about. It was something in my mind from the, from the beginning. We had initially three people in the SDR team. You know, we expect to be a team of eight by the end of the year, including the SDR leader. We're currently four in the SDR team, but that's through some some attrition, some people deciding they want to do different things. And so I think around that uh, seven individual contributors and a leader is about the right level, which typically is that kind of optimal size of a team, around eight yeah, that's really really helpful. And I, I know lots of our clients are kind of looking at making that switch and establishing that kind of leadership layer. Speaking with a client this morning who's kind of at that exact stage, who's kind of umming and ahhing about where to put that in in her headcount plan. So um, really insightful there. You obviously spoke there about the importance of enablement as well, and we're seeing a lot of our clients who are typically at this growth stage, I'd say going from kind of fifty to to a hundred headcount. Uh, seeing the strategic importance of enablement. You mentioned ramp times there. I mean, what are some of the other key criteria that you're thinking about in terms of the, the importance of, of getting that enablement, right? Well, I mean, ramp time is is, is absolutely key. And, and I think the other piece for me is really the, the resource of an additional leader effectively in the enablement function that's really important and why well there's a ramp time there's a continuous education but there's also the piece around coaching which i is is really important for me something that i focus heavily on is is coaching for for my direct team but i also want to make sure that we are coaching having that coaching philosophy as an organization the person that we've hired to run revenue enablement is also a, a sales coach with experience within medic and within spin and, and a couple of other methodologies. So I think that piece is really important and that bleeding into then helping with some of the go-to-market strategy focuses with looking at you know, how you run campaigns, how you're, if, how you're coordinating between product, potentially CS, but obviously sales, SDRs, and marketing is really, is, is really key. I think it's a critical function for us. And I think it's obviously a diff, often a difficult decision to make to hire someone in that role because ultimately... You think you can do most things on your own. You've got leaders who can do that. And I think that's that was that was one of the decisions that we made was around the SDR leader was for our regional heads of sales. They were looking after SDRs. They're now looking after account managers and sales managers who account execs, new business hunters. And ultimately, as those teams get that bigger, you're in a situation where you have multiple focuses to be able to coach. It's not the same. You're not going to coach an SDI exactly the same way you're going to coach an account manager or a sales manager. There's obviously more similarities between the sales manager and the account manager. But ultimately, I wanted to get to a stage where we invest in a leader that has that domain knowledge that can help coach and develop SDRs and bring on bring on the right kind of talent. And so 
while you're doing that, and you're then helping to focus your sales leaders with a focus more on account management and sales managers specifically, it then allows them to, to specialize in those areas. But it's also important to have someone who can tie that all together and help make sure that they've got the bandwidth to be able to do their day jobs, as well as the coaching and development of their existing teams. Yeah, absolutely. I may have mentioned it before, Grant, but you know, I talk a lot with sales leaders at the moment about closing that experience gap. And you know, one of the biggest places that we're seeing an experience gap at the moment in SaaS is is quite often those frontline leaders, you know, recently been promoted in into leadership roles through you know high performance, and they're wearing a lot of different hats, as you mentioned. You know, obviously everything from interviews and sourcing candidates through to to running, you know, onboarding and ramping them up, through to owning their number for their team and making sure the team are headed in the right direction and. And actually, you know, developing your leaders into coaches is one of the most, you know, influential initiatives that that, that we, we've seen success off the back of. And it sounds like that's something that you care about deeply as well, is kind of bringing that coaching culture across your, your entire leadership layer. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's something that I've focused on heavily throughout my career and would hope that people would, would see that me as... I think that, you know, it, it, it's hard, though, as you mentioned, when you are dragged in so many different directions, we're trying to scale a team, we're trying to hit a number, we're trying to develop individuals, we're trying to to hire and prospect, that's that's a lot to do at the same time. And so there, it, is, it, it is challenging. You know, I think we're still building out our, our EMEA team, particularly with we're starting to get there, but we've got some, some new sales managers we would like to hire. We've kind of got to a stage with the states where we're, we're on, a, we're on a good place. We're almost fully ramped in terms of our headcount for this year, which is exciting. But yes, finding the time to coach because it's easy to be executional and just get on with what's your pipeline? When are you going to uh, close your next deal? Rather than working on some of the areas where we can improve and kind of expand that pipeline, improve the sales cycle in terms of closing quicker. So that coaching is fundamentally important. Let's move on to talk about culture, Grant. You know, I, I love the description you use there about getting the, the people platform in, in place. How do you think about culture? And obviously, again, you know, you, you've been in large organizations, you've led the charge in small organizations. I mean, what does culture, I guess, mean to you within the teams that you work in? And how are you thinking about culture at FundApps? Well, it's, it's curious. I think I said to you when we were chatting at the beginning, I mean, I think everyone says we've got a great culture in our company and it's a good tagline to have on your website. And I did wonder when I went into FundApps, would what I see on the website be what is replicated in the company? And interestingly, even going through the hiring process, in my final interviews, I met some of the team. I met four of the team. And it was probably likely that I was going to be hired by that point. And yet still, in those interviews, I was asked very pokey questions. I was challenged on some of my answers. And that's actually one of the reasons that I decided to join FundApps, because there were this culture of, of directness, of openness, of willing to challenge even when somebody's likely to be the leader of that team, was something that really kind of inspired me and made me think, you know, this is an interesting culture that, that instills this. And so as I went into FundApps, I realized, as I mentioned, with the transparency of, of Slack, the open communication, the willingness to just get on the phone and chat, you know, we really do, and I don't want to be cheesy, but we kind of live our values. You know, I talked about, I, I talked about some of the values that, that we have be transparent, but ultimately we also one of my favorite values is raise the bar. And our CEO is always talking about this, Andrew, because it's kind of 
how do we get 1% better every day? What are the things that we can do to improve and help each other? And I really love that because it's always about kind of making sure that we're constantly getting better and we're constantly helping each other. And one of the things that I hadn't come across, I'm sure many companies have, is we also have something called Bonusly in our company. So we have this ability to reward people. We have 30 credits a, a month and we kind of, we reward people for, you know, doing stuff that helps us or setting a high bar or being transparent or just trying to do more with less. And I love that because it's really about saying, you know, who's the person in CS that's helped you out with some knowledge? Who's the person in engineering who's just gone that extra mile to help you get something over for a client? That's the kind of culture that permeates through through the through the company. And I think it's interesting. We we had a an away week with the whole of the team with us across the world in London last week. And it was just amazing to be able to be together and see how that culture is spread across across the different teams. And that is something that is hard to replicate in a large organization. You can do it in silos, but it's it's hard to replicate. And I think actually what we try to instill is make sure that that the leaders within within fundouts are instilling, you know, the culture and making sure they're propagating that culture. But ultimately it comes from everyone within the company. How do you think about doing all of that, Goran, in this you know hybrid world that we're living in? Something that many leaders I'm speaking to at the moment are, are kind of grappling with, you know, especially if you have kind of hubs with HQs in, you know, and you have employees around the world who perhaps aren't part of those hubs. How do you build that kind of inclusive culture and how do you make it feel like one collective? It's it's a good question because as people are starting to go back to the office a little bit, there are always these push and pull factors about true kind of hybrid working and and how that then impacts people. It's interesting because we have a bunch of people who are remote first. And so they they're very far away from from the action in in hubs, particularly we have some we have a couple of people who are in, in LA, you know, we have people in Barcelona, we have people, we have a small office in in in, Sing, in Singapore. So it is it is challenging to to kind of bring people together and, and manage that kind of hybrid nature. I think from our perspective, you know, we do try and get people into the office, you know, whether it's in our individual locations in Singapore, New York, or or, or London, to kind of come together relatively regularly without forcing it, because I think it's important for people to have that human contact. I also think that, you know, there can, as much as I do like Slack, I think there could be an overuse of Slack. And actually, I think getting on a phone, talking to people over Zoom or whatever medium is incredibly important. I also think, you know, having a situation where you have skip level chats, you know, every month with with the teams, making sure that everyone has access to people across the across the firm is important using whether it's monthly meetings whether it's team meetings to be able to give people a platform to be able to excel and and talk and contribute ideas is also is also really important and ultimately i think you know if there is an ability to bring people together multiple times a year in larger groups i think that could be really beneficial now that can be challenging obviously budgets all these things are are hard but ultimately, I think in any case, a face-to-face communication of some kind, whether that's on Zoom or whether that's in, in, in person, is incredibly important in trying to manage that. But ultimately, I think the biggest shift is that you know we should be measured on results, not how much time we necessarily spend in an office. And I think getting people to focus on delivering in this kind of hybrid world and being accountable for it and also comfortable that there can be a hybrid and that works. You know, I think that's really important. Yeah, I love that. And I could definitely vouch for the, the kind of the off-site model or, or on-site, if you want to call it that, you know, bringing everyone together and giving people a chance to have that, that FaceTime. 
seems to be a really important theme to to kind of maintain and and, and keep going. Grant, I've really enjoyed the conversation today. I think it's a, a fascinating journey that you've been on and continue to to, to lead over at FundApps. For those who are listening to this, who, who aren't already connected with you, where can they find out more information? They can absolutely go to fundapps.co, but my I've got a pretty open door policy. So if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'd be delighted to kind of chat to you, or you can, you can email me at uh, grant at fundapps.co. Amazing. Grant, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure speaking with you on the show today. And thanks for share, sharing those insights from your journey and best of luck to to you and the team this year as you continue on that growth journey great thanks very much matt really appreciate the opportunity good to speak to you by uncovering blind spots on performance motivation and skills uhubs helps busy sales leaders at top SaaS companies to optimize their sales enablements so that they can develop reps and grow revenue the uhubs pulse platform visualizes each team's development needs personalized upskilling, and provides data-driven coaching recommendations. These save sales managers 40 plus hours per quarter and help reps to ramp up 30% faster. Supercharge your sales team by booking a demo today.